Well, good morning, church family. So good seeing all of you. And uh, I don't know, is, is Harry in here? Where's Harry Beamer? And I so appreciated your prayer. That was awesome. Uh, we're, we're so glad to see you and just, we love you, brother. So that was, that was great. Really appreciated that. <clears throat> well, uh, let, me, let me speak a few words to something that Bill mentioned earlier in the announcements. So first of all, I want to I thank all of you because this last, what, 12, 13 months have been just insane, have been crazy, constantly changing dynamics, uh, changing stipulations and regulations from the state and from uh, national restrictions, all these kind of things due to the pandemic. And so I so appreciate you guys because the lead elders this last week decided to just pivot on a dime and change things up today. So this is a yellow service and then the next service is green service, and if you don't know what that means, you can uh, come to me, ask me afterwards, uh, basically whether we have masks or physical distancing, all that kind of stuff. But thank you for, for pivoting and for adjusting, for being so flexible. Now let me say a couple things to that. First of all, uh, there are people on a wide spectrum with this thing. So there are some who, they, they are very health conscious because they are medically at risk, so they're understandably more cautious and they're going to wear masks and, and try to enact physical distancing, and that's great. And then there are some who probably had a mask-burning party this week. And that's fine, too, and everything in between. And so here's the thing. We are going to be all things to all people, like Paul says. We're going to meet people where they are and allow them to abide by their conscience, Romans 14. We are going to love on them, show consideration, show kindness. So if you see someone wearing a mask in the comments, listen, don't just go up to them and like, oh, breathe in their face and <laughs> cough all over them. Put on a mask as well. Let's be all things to all people and show the love and consideration and kindness of Jesus, okay? Second, we're going to have some people coming back for various reasons. And so what we want to do is say, hey, welcome. We love you. We're so glad you're here. It's so good to see you again. Those things are great. We want to show them appreciation for coming. What we're not going to do is we're not going to say, where have you been? Or what took you so long? Or take that stupid mask off or whatever the case may be. That's not, that is shaming and we are not going to do that. And if I hear of that, we're going to have a little chat. Okay. So that is not the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to be a loving, welcoming, greeting, friendly church. And if you agree with these things, then say amen. amen. All right. So, uh, and that's kind of leads into the, the message today. I'm excited about today's passage. Uh, I'm excited to preach every time, but uh, you'll see. So let's, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into his word. Father, it's amazing, first of all, that we can even call you our Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. May your name be holy and sanctified through the way that we live and talk through how we think and breathe, through all the resources and many gifts that you've given us, may we steward them for your kingdom. So thank you that we can call you Father. You are our adopted Father and King, and we are your adopted royal sons and daughters through Jesus. So thank you that we get to be a part of your family. And because we are a part of your family, we are family with one another. We are a church family. So may we live that out. May we genuinely be brothers and sisters in Christ together, being a family, being a people, not just a place, but a people of belonging. 
May we be a people of connection and deep investment relationally in one another. May we live out this passage that we look at and all the practical implications therein. Father, we look to you as the source of joy, the source of life, the source of togetherness in our church family. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every day on Facebook, Facebook will suggest a post called Memories. And it's basically this algorithm that pulls up previous posts, previous photos or pictures that you posted from years before on that date. And so basically Facebook will say, hey, do you remember when you posted this picture? And you'll be like, yeah, I do remember that. Thanks, Facebook. And sometimes it suggests these posts to make from pictures that I posted literally 16 years ago when I was in seminary of friends that I had and, and have in seminary. And it'll, it'll suggest posts of photos I, I made, photos I posted of years ago with previous churches where I served. And I'll look at these photos, and my first thought is, man, wow, look at how young I was. <laughs> what happened? That's my first thought. It's a very selfish thought. But my second thought is, oh, man, I remember these folks. I love them so dearly. I remember them fondly. And some of them we still keep in contact with. Some we don't. I mean, life happens. But with all of them, there is just this sense of community. There's a sense of remembrance, and it reawakens my brotherly affection for them. Unbeknownst to me, right before college, before I left for college, my parents and some other friends prayed a very significant special prayer over me. They prayed, Lord, please give Jared solid, special, strong Christian friends. And he did. I mean, the Lord has been so good to me in this area. So good. I am a blessed man. You know, I, I was born and raised in Colorado, grew up in Colorado, was there for several years through college, then moved to Texas where my wife and I met at seminary, did ministry for there for several years, then moved to Nevada I was there for several years doing ministry, which is where we were before moving here. And in every single location, God has just blessed me with incredibly strong friendships throughout the years. Some of them, in fact, are friendships all around the world. In fact, we, we, my wife and I did a mission trip to Venezuela years ago. And we are still, to this day, close with, tight with this family that we stayed with for two weeks in Venezuela. In fact, so much so, we call them our Venezuelan family our Venezuelan mama and papa, and they, they still keep in contact with us and us with them. And, and so we have friends all over the years, all over the world. There is something extraordinary that happens when you connect deeply with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. You care about them. You love them. You pray for them. You, you do what you can to help them grow and flourish. And church family, and listen, I don't use that term lightly. Church family, I say it very intentionally and deliberately with great purpose. Church family, you were made for this. We were made for this. We were made to dig into each other's lives and invest in one another and, and pour into each other at deep levels, not just surface small talk, but deeply get involved in one another's lives. And that's really the point this morning. So if you look at the screen, this is the main idea, which is this. 
a church family invests in and connects, is it up on the screen? A church family invests in and connects with one another through caring relationships. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 16 on your phones or in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen as well. Romans chapter 16. You know, if our Roman te- Romans teaching series was a flight, the flaps are down, the gears are cranking, the wheels are coming down. I mean, we are about to land this teaching series. But before we do, we get to this seemingly obscure passage in the last chapter of Romans. I don't know about you, but like genealogies, you know, these passages in the Old Testament, New Testament, genealogies, or which, are, which genealogies, if you don't know what those are, are lists of so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so who begat so-and-so, or you have these passages on the dimensions of the temple, or passages on ceremonial laws, and I got to be honest, ashamedly, I just normally gloss over those, or skip them altogether. Do not skip this. Do not skim this. Every passage in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. God is not a purveyor of busy work. This is in here for a reason. And so when you dig into the text, you will find so many incredible nuggets of truth, these deep, powerful, beautiful, rich insights. So let's read Romans chapter 16 uh, together, and it's, we're going to read uh, 1 through 15. It's kind of a longer passage. So if you would, actually, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word with me? And by the way, there are a whole lot of names in this passage, and I'm going to try to recite them in the Greek pronunciation that they were originally written in, so pray for me. (laughs) Bear with me in much grace. Here we go. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Akula, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Miriam, Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my Kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ even before me. Greet Ampliadus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Arbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apolles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Listen, I know that we have some families in here expecting, uh, you know, having a baby soon. If you're looking for baby names, I don't know that you need to go farther than Aristobulus. I see the Reitzmas back there. The Zanstras are near somewhere. That's a joke. Uh, Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet, oh boy, here we go. Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus. Quick story about this, by the way. Philologus, philolo, wow, philologus, say that three times fast. Philologus literally means in the Greek, fond of words, lover of words. I can't help but wonder if this was a long-winded preacher right here. Okay, that was a much worse joke, sorry. Greet philologus, Julia, 
Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And for good measure, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You guys can be seated. Paul is concluding his letter to the Christians in Rome with a section of greetings. He's ending with greetings. You don't usually leave someone's house and say, hello, this isn't bizarro world. You don't end a letter with greetings. So what is going on here? Well, people traveled much back in the day, in in Paul's day, more than we actually give them credit for in the first century Roman Empire. And so if someone had a friend traveling, they would send them to a town where they had some friends there, and they would send them and say, hey, you could stay with my friends here. They're good people. Here's a letter of commendation, like a recommendation letter. You can give this to them. It'll vouch for you, say, hey, you can stay with them, that you're good. It's making, make sure that you are taken care of. This was essentially, consider this ancient couch surfing. But this letter is far different than the norm. This is not a mere reference letter. These are not shout-outs like celebrities give at the Grammys, you know, Props to my boy, Ampliatus, much love. No, he's not even saying, make sure to tell these people hello for me. There's something much deeper going on here. And though Paul uses the word greet 21 times in this chapter, these are more commendations than mere greetings. He's commending them to the church in Rome. And so Paul sends greetings to 28 individuals, 26 by name, plus an unnamed mother and an unnamed sister. He sends greetings to five groups, that's three local house churches, and two entire families, or at least the believers, those followers of the Lord who are within those families. And even these families may be referring themselves to household churches. The point is this, folks, the church is people. It's always been people. It always will be people. The church is not an institution. It's not a country club. It's not an organization. It's not a building. It's not a place. The church is what? people. We are the church. And the church does not exist in a vacuum. Christian community is personal, deeply personal. You know, Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote this, and yet he knew these people. Again, travel was more frequent back then than we probably realize, and so he likely met these folks on his missionary journeys. These are real people. Not just names, these are real people. Paul had friends, Paul had connections. He was deeply socially connected. He knew them closely, intimately. And there was this strong affinity, this deep love for each and every one of them. He knows them by name. Oh, the power of names. You know when you see someone and they're like, Hey, Jared, they remember, okay, they don't say Jared to you, but they say Jared to me, or, you know, they say your name, they remember your name, and you're like, oh, I didn't know you knew my name. I feel so special, I feel so significant. I mean, there's, and by the way, there are a lot of people here, and I'm fairly new to this campus, so let's show each other grace. I haven't seen people's faces in over a year, so let's show each other's grace as, uh, show each other grace as we try to remember each other's names, but there's something, when someone remembers your name, it's special. It's significant. We long to belong where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. (laughs) You want to be where you can see that troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. 
If you're not laughing and you're younger, you're like, I feel like he's referencing something. <laughs> Ask your parents. We long for connection. That's the point. I mean, how many people do you know who are outside of your family who you know their middle name? Think about it. Just start thinking in your, the Rolodex of your mind. Probably you can count them on one hand or less. I bet I, bet I know three or fewer outside of my family who I, I know their middle name. And that's significant because when you know someone's middle name, it's kind of symbolic. It's likely that you are deeply connected with that person. What if we were a church where we knew each other so well that we knew each other's middle names? Or at least the folks in your small group that you know each other so well that you know their middle names. Paul lists names, but he doesn't just list names here. He lists people. And he tells the Roman Christians about them. He describes them because he knows them and he loves them. Many of the greetings come with a description and a specification. Well, greet so-and-so who has done this or that because they mean so much to me for such and such a reason. Paul wants to ensure that these people he knows are loved on, that they're taken care of. Welcome them. Serve them. Embrace them. Show them hospitality. Love them. You can hear the care and concern in Paul's voice. He loved them like family. These are my people. These are my family. Take good care of them. Paul had a shepherd's heart. And when a sheep leaves a flock, when a church member leaves a church, I, I got to tell you, on a personal note as a pastor, man, it hurts. It's a gut punch to a shepherd. It hurts, but you never stop loving that person. You never stop caring about them, even if they leave your church. I know for a fact that there are some of our Bethel pastors who will reach out to other pastors of other churches when they know that uh, some of their flock has left to now be a part of their flock, and they will reach out to them and say, hey, you have some great people coming your way. They are awesome. You'll love them. Take good care of them. I commend them now into your flock, into your ministry. Disciple them well. Because shepherds care about their flock. They care about their sheep, even if the sheep go to another flock. When you care about people, you want to make sure that they are cared for and connected. You know what the number one reason people leave a church is? What do you think the number one reason that people leave a church, a local church? No connection. It's a lack of a relational connectivity. By far, they've done all kinds of studies through the Barna Group, through LifeWay Research, all kinds of studies. The number one reason by far is a lack of relational connectivity. And it's so difficult to connect in American culture. I mean, we're so individualistic. We like our space. Don't get it in my bubble. You're a little, we, some, some folks have loved social distancing. Okay, I don't want people in my bubble. Because we're very individualistic. We love our space, and, and there's a time and place for that. That's okay. I mean, my wife and I, so right now, we live in a house that we bought uh, almost four years ago. This September will be four years. It's the first house we've ever owned. We've always lived in apartments all of our nearly 12 years of marriage. And in apartments, in multi-level housing, man, it's lonely. You never see your neighbors, or when you do, it's, you know, everyone's got blinders on. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to see you. They don't want to get involved. And so we would reach out and there would be some worth, but man, it was so, we just felt so lonely. And COVID has exponentially elevated loneliness. 
This should be heartbreaking to us. Be aware of this. Be aware of people. Watch for lonely eyes. Because people, people put on a good face. People put on a facade. But you can't put on fake eyes. Watch for lonely eyes. If you see someone sitting by themselves, sit down with them. Be a friend to them. You know, suicides and attempted suicides have skyrocketed over the last 12 months due to COVID loneliness and disconnectedness. And I just wonder how many in our church and how many in our community are so lonely, maybe on the verge of suicide, and we don't even realize it. We have to be in each other's lives. Don't just play church. We are the church. Let's get into each other's lives. I think of this quote by Al Mohler, and I wish I would have put it on the screen because this, oh, this is so good. He said, one of the problems with evangelical Christianity is oftentimes we cannot discern the difference between a crowd and a church. Whoo! Man, church is people. And newcomers coming in and out of church without any contact, with any, without any connection, will not happen on my watch. So help us, God. That's not going to happen, so help us, God. We don't want anyone to come into this building and leave without connecting with people. That's not the kind of church we want to be. Connection, connectivity takes courage. It takes initiative, so, so take the risk. Yes, you're going to have awkward encounters. I'm an awkward person. <laughs> I do it all the time, but you just push through it. Take the risk. Take the initiative. We cannot be guarded if we are going to be connected. And it's not just for extroverts, by the way. Introverts, I'm talking to you. This is not just for extroverts. Connectivity, relational connectivity, relationships are for introverts and extroverts. It's for all of us. Again, church, family, you were made for this. I think we should adopt the wingman strategy. You know, you have a single guy who has his buddy, his wingman, and they go to talk to girls, and his wingman will be like, hey, have you met so-and-so? Now, don't do that to pick up single people, but what if we did that as a church? You're talking with someone, you meet them for the first time, and then you see someone you know, and you say, hey, hey, come here. Have you met so-and-so? Because we want each other to connect with each other. Studies show that if someone new to a church does not connect with seven people, it's called the rule of seven, seven relational touch points, that they will not be here long. They're not likely to stay. So the church is people. Paul wrote to individuals. But he also wrote to entire families in the Lord. Look at verses 10 and 11. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. And then in verse 13, he talks about Rufus. Now here's an interesting case. Could this be Rufus that is mentioned in Mark 15, verse 21? The son of Simon of Cyrene. Now, quick Bible trivia quiz. What was Simon of Cyrene famous for? He carried the cross of Jesus. So here's Jesus on the road to Calvary, going up to the hill, going up to Golgotha, and he's stumbling. He can't carry the cross anymore. And so the Roman soldiers conscript a guy, Simon of Cyrene, to come and help him bear his cross. And they carry the cross together. And Mark 15, Mark says his sons were Alexander and Rufus. Now, who do you think Mark wrote the gospel of Mark to? The church in Rome. 
So it's very possible that this Rufus is the son of the guy who carried the cross of Jesus. We don't know, but regardless, he talks about Rufus's mother, and he says, Paul says, Rufus's mother is like a mother to me. There's some lady who is like a mom to Paul, and I've had ladies in my life like that, where deep, close friends, I remember in high school, I'd go with my buddy to his house, and I'd see his mom, and I would literally go, hey mom, and I would go to the fridge and open it up, and peruse through there like it's at my own house, and they would let me, <laughs> I, you know, getting a bite to me, eat like it's my own. They, they would have this maternal quality that just makes you feel like you're a part of their family. So the key word here is belong. I call this the Olive Garden principle. When you're here, you're family. When you're with church family, you're family. So include others in to the family. Welcome them into belonging. See, that's what people want. They want to belong, and there is belonging in a church family. So Paul wrote wrote to individuals. He wrote to families. He also wrote to house churches in verses 5 and 14 and 15. Scholars believe that there were at least seven or eight different groups, house congregations, worshiping separately throughout the city of Rome at that time. So these are house churches, and we see the necessity of small groups, of missional communities here. Small groups are basically like churches within a church. So if you're not a part of a small group, you're not going to get to know people super well in this gathering, but you will in a small group. And this is biblical, and it has been for 2,000 years. And there's multiplicity in house churches. You know, there are still house church movements all over the world, and praise God, They are multiplying like crazy, especially in areas of high persecution. There's multiplicity of these house churches. And that's the point. Church is family, but church is also, church family is also intentionally expansive. It multiplies, it expands. There is no holy huddle here. I hate holy huddles. We're not going to have a holy huddle. And I will do everything in my power to fight clickiness. There is a major difference between a belonging family and a clique. The latter, a clique, is cloistered. It's closed off to people. Like, no, club is closed, sorry. Not allowed. But a belonging church family is open and intentional. When you belong, you want others to belong. Again, church is what? Starts with P, ends with equal. People. The church is people. Second, the church is diverse. It includes all categories of society. And there are a variety of folks listed here. We have 17 men and 9 women. And this is extremely significant because back in the day, it was a very patriarchal, uh, very chauvinistic, male-dominated society. In fact, the Jewish people back then, according to rabbinic writings, would literally pray this, God, thank you that you did not make me a Gentile, a barbarian, or a woman. They didn't have much status in society. So the fact that women are featured prominently here is significant. All the ones that Paul describes as hard workers are women. Interestingly enough, uh, there are two who they believe are sisters and possibly twin sisters, Tryphena and Trophosa, and those names mean delicate and dainty. This is a play on words. Paul is describing them as hard workers. He's saying, hey, they may be delicate and dainty, but these ladies are going to get their hands in the dirt for Jesus. And I've known some women like that. I've known known some men like that. Unassuming, 
diligent servants of the Lord. So he writes to men, he writes to women. He lists two married couples, possibly a third. Fourteen of these individuals were likely immigrants. In the list, there are business owners as well as slaves, whether current or former, from prisoners to prestigious, from wealthy to destitute, various levels of education, status, personalities, age brackets, culturally diverse and ethnically diverse. You have Jewish, Greek, Asian, people from different locations geographically, people from different backgrounds. The point is, notice the universality of the church. The body of Christ is truly a rich tapestry. In fact, this church membership list for Rome was more like a melting pot for every class, every gender, every race, every social status, rich, poor, famous, and mundane. The kingdom of God is not reserved for one people group or one social class. It's for all. And monoliths of uniformity do not quite bring glory to God like unity and diversity. Unity in diversity to his glory. Because, listen, if it's only a certain group or a certain demographic or a certain social strata that are worshiping Jesus, that doesn't bring God glory like people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every social class, every people group. That brings God glory. So it's unity and diversity to his glory. So what do we want to see here at Bethel? What do we want this to look like? I want to see an 80-year-old mentoring a 20-year-old. I want to see an African-American man and a white man studying the Bible together. I want to see a CEO, an owner of a business, doing lunch with a homeless person, and not to show pity, but as equals. That's what I want to see, diversity and unity to the glory of God. And so the church is people. The church is diverse. Third, the church rises and falls on the spiritual vitality of the people. So let's take a deeper dive into some of these individuals that Paul names that he cares so much about. In verse 1, he mentions Phoebe. She gets the longest commendation. And she's described as a sister, a servant, and a supporter. And not just a sister, but he says, our sister. They all knew her. They all loved her dearly. She was a dear Christian woman. Paul also describes her as a patron, a supporter who has helped many. She was likely a wealthy woman, maybe a business owner, which was very rare back then, but it did happen. I mean, she's the type of lady that if you went to her house, you look on her refrigerator, and it is covered with magnets of missionaries and ministries that she personally supported. History is filled with such women, women of means, women of generous spirit who steward their wealth for God's kingdom, kingdom purposes. So she was a sister, she was a supporter, but she was also a servant. One clear example is that scholars believe that she was actually the one who literally carried the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, to the church in Rome. And it's not like you could just, just take a quick flight there and back. This would have take, taken several weeks of her life. It would have been dangerous. Yet she takes this letter to the beloved Roman Christians because she had such a servant's heart. Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. 
The Greek word for servant is diakonos. Now, in your translation, it may say deaconess, or it may say servant. Regardless, this word is used many times in the New Testament to celebrate servant-heartedness, which we would all want to see more and more as a Christian virtue. We appreciate the serving spirit of our sisters in our church. Our church rides on the backs of godly women who balance their busy lives to give time and energy to make this church go. And if you agree, can we applaud our women right now? (laughs) Praise God for the many, many Phoebes among us. Paul says, welcome her in a way worthy of the saints, Help her in whatever she needs from you. Help her as she has helped me, he's saying. Again, Paul expresses care and concern. Verses 3 through 5, we see a couple, Prisca and Akula. Uh, Luke, in the book of Acts, uses a derivative form of her name, Priscilla. He calls them fellow workers. They were fellow workers in trade. They were tent makers, just like Paul was. So they did business together possibly rival businesses, but they loved each other. And not only were they fellow workers in business, but they were more importantly fellow workers in ministry. And so they actually may have taught Paul how to do business as mission, how to be bivocational, how to do ministry, and how to run a business. You know, if you look at Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 18, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to summarize it for you. In Acts chapter 18, we see Prisca and Akula mentioned here, in in verse uh, 1 through 3, it talks about Paul leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth, that's where he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and he gets to know them, he stays with them, does business with them, then later on in verses 18 and 19, he actually brings Priscilla and Aquila with him on his missionary journeys. Then in verses 24 through 28, uh, Priscilla and Aquila meet this Jewish guy named Apollos, And Apollos was kind of preaching the gospel, teaching about Jesus. He knew some about Jesus, but it says that Priscilla and Aquila came alongside him and taught him the way of God more accurately. They essentially took him under their wing as relational disciple makers and pointed him further to Jesus. I wonder if they were one of those married couples that we just admire, growing and maturing in the Lord We have couples like that in our church here who I admire so much. And truth be told, my wife Skye and I want to be like this. We aspire for this. Paul mentions the church in their house. So not only were they business people and in ministry, but they leveraged their relational connections and their resources for the kingdom. They were church planters. Houses were not big back then, and so they were, they were using what they had for the glory of God for their church family. Paul says that they risked their necks for my life. All, I and all the Gentile churches thank them for their servant-hearted ministry. Folks, gospel ministry is hard. And back then, and even in some places around our world today where persecution is high, You are putting your life on the line by by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And so they were putting their life on the line, putting out their necks for Jesus to make disciples for this church plant that met in their home. But see, in difficult gospel ministry, there's this 
foxhole mentality. You know, in World War I, they're in the midst of battle, and they were in the trenches. In, if you've seen the movie 1918, they're in the, in the trenches, in the foxholes. They're in that together for hours, sometimes days. Bullets are whizzing over their heads. Bomb shells are, are coming and exploding all around them. And so when you're in the foxhole, you are tight. I mean, your hearts are knit together because you're in the thick of the storm. You're in the midst of the battle. And in the midst of ministry, which, listen, ministry is a battle. Living for Jesus is a battle. Ephesians 6, Paul says that. That we do, know, we do not fight against flesh and blood, just as Harry prayed earlier, but against principalities and, and dark forces. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle, and so we need that foxhole mentality together. Paul had this with Prisca and Aquila and with many on this list. And so perhaps to grow in community with others, we need to adopt this kind of mindset. Taking risks for God's kingdom. Serving together in Jesus' name to make disciples together. Notice the descriptive words that Paul gives to describe some of these folks. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, you are beloved. This person is beloved. Greet so-and-so, beloved in the Lord. He's saying this person is loved by the Lord and loved by me. In verse 10, he says, approved in Christ. In verse 13, he says, chosen in the Lord. All of these are markers of significant identity in Christ. Paul is affirming them spiritually. He's drawing attention to gospel truths. He's constantly pointing them back to Jesus. See, it's not enough to simply be relationally concerned as a family. Fraternities, sororities, sometimes businesses, organizations, social clubs, affinity groups, they all strive for that. They all want to be relationally connected, and sometimes they achieve that. But what separates the church family from being a country club is that we do this all for Jesus, making disciples in his name. So strive together then for spiritual vitality. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a church family to make a disciple. So Listen, now this is going to sound counterintuitive, but don't focus on being friendly. Focus instead on displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be super friendly and outgoing, but we are commanded to be joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, loving, See, the former is an unrealistic expectation for anyone, whether you're introverted or extroverted. It's perception-based. And if you try to play to people's perception, that's a losing battle. That is a fool's errand. Focus instead on exuding the fruit of the Spirit in every encounter you have. So, the church is people. The church is diverse. And the church is rising and falling on the spiritual vitality of those people. So I ask you, how might someone describe you if they were urging other believers to greet you? Greet Zach, a meek and diligent servant of Christ. Greet Nancy, a joyful, exuberant worshiper of Jesus. Greet Mike and Judy, who are so eager to see people know Jesus. 
Greet Roger. I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone, someone more passionate for people to know Jesus. Greet Andrea. Such a tender heart for the Lord and for others to grow in him. Now, you guys know I can go on and on and on. So what does all this practically mean for us? Bethel Cedar Lake, what does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to give you several things. First of all, it means greet others warmly. Remove awkwardness, just take down shame and embarrassment. Greet others warmly, especially those you don't know. No one ever left alone. We have to think like the Marines. You know what the, the motto for the Marines is, other than Semper Fi? Leave no one what? Behind. Leave no man or woman behind. No one is going to be left alone at Bethel Cedar Lake. And if you agree with me, would you give me enough thumbs up and an amen? amen. We're going to have uh, Sundays periodically called Name Amnesty Sundays. I know you guys did this with Pastor Mark, and I love the idea. Basically, we're going to encourage every single person to wear a name tag, especially as the masks come down and we're like, oh, I can see your face again. Who are you again? We're going to get to know each other's names. When you want to go above and beyond, write your middle name. We're going to have a system of prayer partners later this year where we encourage people to pray over one another, text each other once a week. Hey, how can I pray for you? Here's how you can pray for me. I don't know if they're here, but Jerry and Laura Coffin years ago did this system called BA, like literally BA, B-A-A, bring an appetizer, and they would connect small groups with small groups and connect people who are disconnected into small groups and just have a fun event together. I would love to see that happen again. Neighborhood cookouts. What about a barbecue or picnic at Lemon Lake where we just hang out together? What about more testimonies from the platform so that we hear each other's stories? What about getting into small groups? If you're not in a small group, folks, that means you're probably just doing Sunday morning church and you are missing out on so much, especially men. Oh, I am sick of hearing, oh, we don't have a men's ministry at Bethel. We have five men's groups at Bethel Cedar Lake. The next campus that has the most has two. We have five. You have no excuse, men. Get into a small group. Or what about the take them a meal? You need to be on the Bethel Cedar Lake Facebook page because sometimes on that someone will post, hey, uh, so-and-so had a baby or lost a loved one or they're sick or whatever and they just need meals and it's so easy. You sign up, register, hey, on this night, I'll take them a meal. You don't even have to make the meal. I'm a terrible cook. If I sign up for this, they're getting KFC. (laughs) So take them a meal, but don't just do this for people you know. That's so easy. Do this for people you don't know. See it as a ministry. It's so easy and yet profoundly impactful. Or what about the lost art of hospitality? Have people, listen, temperatures are warming up, so have people over to your church in the backyard, grill out, have a barbecue, invite your neighbors, your unchurched neighbors, and invite people from the church and let them mingle together. I could go on and on. I would love to see so many of these things and more. But our theme for Bethel Cedar Lake is this. Refined what? Oh boy, that's not good. (laughs) Refined together. Thank you. There you go. Let's say it again. Refined together. And so there are three parts of this, three focuses, prayerful, missional, and relational. And if you've noticed, I've been sprinkling in all three of those things, and I'm going to continue to do so. In fact, every week I give one challenge 
that aligns with one of those. Today, I'm actually going to give you three, one for each of those areas. First, missional. On your way out, you're going to receive this. This is our new Bethel Cedar Lake invite card. I don't want you to just invite people to, to church. I want you to use this to invite people to Jesus. So here's how you can use this. Uh, as you get into a conversation with someone, let's say your waitress, and you ask them, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And you get, you get to know them, and you say, hey, here's a great gospel-centered church. It's a church family. You'll, you know, it's a place of belonging. The people belong, and you should come. Or let's say you pay for coffee for the person in line behind you, and when they ask you, why did you do that? And you say, well, because I love Jesus. And if you want to hear more, scan this QR code that will lead you to an online gospel presentation. Let's use these. You can take as, listen, I ordered 2,500 of these. So take as many as you want. So that's missional. Second, prayerful. On your way in, you should have received a blank index card. How many of you did not receive one? Show of hands. Anyone? Wow, our ushers did amazing. Good job. If you didn't, go ahead and raise your hand. We have some people handing them out if you missed it. I want you right now, and I'm going to ask Parker to play for another minute or two. I want you to write down one way that people can pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to be bold. Write your name on there. I'm okay with anonymous prayer requests, but man, when you attach a name to it, whoo, it's relational now. It's powerful. So go ahead. Seriously, take a minute. How can people pray for you? Write that down. Write your name. And I'm not going to tell you how we're going to use them because then you might not do this. So just do it and we'll find out.